we're going to continue to work our way through the, uh, the, the Sermon of Paul in Acts chapter 13. If you want to turn there, it is up here behind me, but Acts chapter 13. And we get to really uh, what is essentially his invitation. We get to the point where he says, okay, it's time to commit. And he gives us a choice. He gives them a choice and he gives us a choice. And the choice is Jesus Christ or or what? Or what? <laughs> because what, he, what Paul's going to tell us is that he's worked, worked his way through a historical argument of how God has worked in the lives of the Israelites. And, and we've looked at how God has worked in our lives all the way through. And he's going to lead us up to this point and then tell us, Jesus is the next logical step in history. He's the next logical step. Now, we've seen quite a bit of him talking about uh, Jesus being the ultimate fulfillment of the promise to David, and we're going to see more of that today as well. But we are given a choice today. Now, I want to tell you this is not abnormal in Scripture. We're always given a choice in Scripture. Scripture consistently gives us, we, we want there to be a gray area, right? We want there to be a fence to sit on. We want to be, well, I'm not totally for this, but I'm not against it either. So I want this middle ground. And the Scripture does not give us middle ground. It doesn't give us gray. It doesn't give us a fence to sit on. It is, you are for Christ or you against him. You are a son or daughter of the light, or you are a son or, or daughter of the darkness. There is no in-between. We're going to see that again this morning. So let's read Acts chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 34. I'm sorry, 30, 35. We'll start in verse 35. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from, through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. So let's look first again at the context here. We are at the end of this sermon of Paul's on, on to, the, to Jews and Gentiles. Now remember, this crowd that's gathered here, they're Jews and they're Gentile converts to Judaism. That's who's gathered here in Antioch. That's who Paul is talking to. And so as Paul has, has been going through the history of the, the Jewish people, God's interaction with the Jewish people, they know this history. They've studied it. They know how all of this works. And then he... he Paul uses a couple of, of psalms in here, Psalm 2 and Psalm 16. Now, these are messianic psalms. In other words, 
even the Jews understood these psalms were written about the Messiah. And so Paul uses these psalms and applies them to Jesus Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of the promise to David. Now, because we've, we've seen so much of this promise to David, I wanted to go back to this promise. It's in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And, and in verses 12 and 13, I'll read them to you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, at first glance, you can see that Solomon, because it is Solomon that comes from David, David's son, Solomon, is the one that builds the temple, that the house for God's name, as it says. But then it says that his kingdom will be established forever. Solomon died and decayed just like David did. Paul's, Paul's made that clear. If you think in pictures, these are great verses. Because you think about David and decaying away. And you think about Solomon and decaying away. You, this, is, this is what we're given, is that these guys died. But Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of the promise to David, never died. Or he died, but he came back to life. He never decayed. He never decayed away. And that's his use of the, the Psalms here to show us, that show, show them and us, that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise to David. David couldn't have been the fulfillment of the promise because he died and decayed away. Solomon could not be the promise because he died and he decayed away. But Jesus, Jesus died and was raised again. So he is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise to David. And Paul talks here in his, is his invitation and in his conclusion here, he talks about two important concepts, forgiveness and justification. So let's look at these for a minute. Forgiveness first. Verse 38 tells us forgiveness of sin is proclaimed in this man, Jesus, clearly from the context, Jesus Christ. Now we have the wrong idea about forgiveness. We so often... Uh, in human relationships, have a hard time forgiving. We, because I think we have the wrong idea about forgiveness. This word literally means to let go, to send off, to release. Now, we have to understand that we hold sin as a debt. Sin is a debt. And if you think about it in terms of human relationships, it makes more sense for us because if someone wrongs us, if someone does something to us, what do we think? We think he owes me because of what he did to me. We hold it as a debt. Well, that's how sin is a debt. And so this, this tells us that in Christ, we are released from this debt. We owe God a debt for our sin. Somebody has to pay for our sin. We have thought things wrong. We have said things wrong. We have done things wrong. We have a sin problem. But Jesus paid the price. So we are released from the debt of, of our sin. That's, that's the, the word that's used here is to be released, to, be, to, to let go of. It's used, uh, it's used outside the Bible to talk about 
literal debts. Um, when you pay something off, you're released from the debt. If, if the, your lender says, I, I forgive the debt, he's saying, I release you from the debt. You no longer owe me for this. That's what forgiveness is. So when we forgive human-to-human relationships, what we're saying is we are no longer going to hold this against you. That's all we're saying. You don't owe me anymore for what you've done to me. That's, that's forgiveness. We get forgiveness and trust mixed up. Trust is built forward. Forgiveness looks backward. So we forgive something that's happened in the past. We trust going forward. Trust is built. It's not an automatic. It, 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 so, so when you forgive, it's not automatically that you trust again. Even Jesus said, the one who is given a little will be given a lot. The one who is faithful in a little will be given a lot. Trust is built. So forgiveness looks backwards. Trust looks forwards. So don't confuse the two. So when Jesus is talking about forgiveness, when Paul is talking about forgiveness in Jesus, he's talking about being released from the debt we owe. So that we talk in terms in, in human relationships, we talk about forgive and forget. But we don't forget, do we? We don't forget. That's not what actual forgiveness is. Forgiveness is I am no longer going to hold this debt against you. I'm no longer going to hold this against you in our relationship. That's all forgiveness is. We have that in Christ. Christ paid our price. I said it in, a, in the prayer after the, uh, after the Lord's Supper. It was our sin that Jesus died for. It was our sin that nailed him to the cross. So, so our debt is paid not because we are so awesome, but because of what he, who he is and what he's done. It, it doesn't have to do with us. It doesn't have to do with what we can do or can't do. It doesn't have to do with how awesome or, or we are. It has to do with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He has paid our price in full. Now, the, the word translated sins here is, act, is literally to act contrary to the will or law of God. How many times have we acted contrary to the will or law of God? Christ, in Christ, we are forgiven. We are released from that debt. And then he talks about justification. Now, justification is, this, is, is more of a legal term. And it means to acquit, to remove guilt, to be declared not guilty. Think of this, and this is where we get confused, because in human relationships, this is the idea of forgetting that we never get to. This is, this is to declare someone not guilty of what we know they did. We don't get here. We may forgive, but we don't forget. We don't justify. We don't call them, call this sin as if it never happened. We don't say you're not guilty of it. But God and his incredible love, he does. He acquits us. He, he removes our guilt. He declares us not guilty. We are acquitted 
of our sin. And so what we have in this is we are, God does not hold our sins against us. That's forgiveness. God declares us not guilty, removes our guilt. That's justification. And I'll say again, this, it's, a, it's a tougher thing for us to understand because we don't have it in human relationships. We can't get to this point. We are, we are human enough not to be able to get here, to be able to say, I don't hold my, your sin against you, and I no longer hold you guilty for it. We, we can't make that second step. We have a hard time there. God does not. God takes our sin away completely. You see how, it's, how, how all of our sin is removed in Christ, completely differently than any human relationship we might have. It, our sin is completely wiped out. Our, our sin is, is no longer held against us, the debt paid, and we are declared not guilty, acquitted of it. It's as if it never happened. Think of it, again, in terms of, uh, of debt and, and credit. Forgiveness in, in Christ, we are, our debt is forgiven. We no longer owe. And we are justified. Our credit is restored. It's as if we have never sinned. It's as if we have never owed. That's who God is. That's what God has done for us in Christ. Something that we can't reach in human relationships, but God's incredible love declares for us the complete forgiveness and justification for our sin. And it says, and, and he makes the point, the law of Moses cannot do this. And it makes sense. And I think actually as you, as you read Exodus and Leviticus, and you read those, right? As you read these, it, it was never intended to be something that forgave and justified. It was never intended to be that way. But, but the, the Judaism kind of took it that way. And they kind of ran with it that way. And they said, as long as I stay within these rules, I'm good. I'm justified if I stay within these, these rules. The problem is, the law cannot justify. The law cannot forgive. Paul goes into much greater detail in this in Galatians, in his letter to the Galatian church. He goes into much greater detail about this. But the law, the rules, the the, the regulations, the traditions, all these things that we build up in, in religious activity cannot forgive and cannot justify. Only Christ can justify. And so Paul gives them the choice. This is the choice. The law which cannot justify, cannot forgive, or Christ who freely forgives and freely justifies. The law cannot do this. Tradition cannot do this. Religious activity cannot do this. Only Christ, Christ alone, can do this. And to drive this point home, Paul uses an interesting quote. It's from Habakkuk. It's, it's Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. 
It's an interesting enough quote that, that let me read you part of it out of Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is, was a prophet, and he, he asked God a, a series of questions. He, he proposed to God, these are, these are the problems I have with the way you run the world, God. So, so you realize we're starting out bad, right? We're start, starting out on a bad foot. But let me, let me read you Habakkuk's question to God. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing. Conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice becomes, becomes perverted. So, essentially, Habakkuk's question to God is, why do, the, why do the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous suffer? Why do I have to look around and see all this stuff going on? As I read that list, it sort of sounds like last night's news, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like the 10 o'clock news from last night. So, so Paul uses this, God's answer to this is, look, I'm doing something here. I am doing something you don't understand. Now, what, is, what did God do in Habakkuk that, that Habakkuk didn't understand? What God did was raise up the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans wiped out Israel. Because Habakkuk is looking around, seeing evil everywhere around Israel. And God is saying, there's plenty of evil in Israel that I need to take care of. I need to punish sin, and I need to bring my people back in repentance. So, so that's what God is doing here. Now, how does that tie in to all of this with, with what Paul has talked about in Christ? Uh, I think, first of all, it's kind of interesting to think about the... Uh, Paul has made the point of the Jewish council that condemned Jesus and the Roman, the Gentile Roman government that killed Jesus... Um, is, is Paul making a, 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 a comparison between them and the Chaldeans? God raised up these people in order to, to, for this plan to come true, in order for this plan of redemption to happen? Is that, is that what he's doing? Is he's, call, he's essentially calling the, the people of this generation, the Chaldeans, that God has used in the past. And it kind of makes sense, because if you look at the history of the Israelites, you look at the history of Israel, even the history that, that Paul has laid out here in Acts chapter 13, we see again and again and again how God has used an, an, an ungodly nation to punish the godly of Israel to bring them back to repentance. And so we, we, this, this kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It kind of lines up that... that what Paul is saying is that as God has always worked, he still is at work. But I think Paul's main point here, I think the main point of Paul is, is he is saying, look, Jesus is the ultimate. He's the conclusion of the plan of redemption. All of history comes to Jesus. And if you miss Jesus, you miss what history is about. You miss the whole plan. If you don't understand Jesus as, the, as its culmination, if you don't understand Jesus as 
the, the ultimate conclusion to the plan of redemption, then you miss all of history. History, the history of the, of, of the, the Israelites means nothing apart from the plan of redemption to Jesus Christ. I think that's what Paul's saying. And I think we need to understand it that way. I think we need to understand that here's our choice. This is our choice. Either our history is his story of redemption. Either what brings us to sitting here today is his work through our life to get us to Jesus. Or it's all just fate. 